Hello and welcome to episode 112 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. Um, I'm your host, Farrell Keeling, and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin um, as we discuss Liverpool's 2-1 FA Cup defeat to Brighton. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Um, but a bit of a different one now, this one, Chris, because I think last time you, you could kind of go, you know, Brighton deserved winners, absolutely played us off the park. We were out-muscled, we were out-fought in every conceivable department. Uh, th- this one feels a bit harder to take, doesn't it? It does, it does. And, if I was, you know, we... we often see the, the three words at the start, don't we, in terms of our report and that and that literally would be it for me in terms of tough to take. Obviously the timing of Matoma's goal kind of adds to that as well in stoppage time. Um and the, there was obvious improvement from the Brighton game um, in, in the league, as you say. Obviously taking the leads was you know, clear evidence of that, at least getting a, a decent effort on target uh, to Ravi Elliott. And I, I felt at the time it'd been quite an even contest, but I, I think Liverpool were, were deserving of the lead in, in that they had at least matched Brighton and improved compared to the league game. But then when you're in the kind of run that Liverpool are in at the moment, Lewis Dunk's goal kind of sums things up. Um, and obviously, the, the, how late Matoma's goal was as well, but the, there were a few things throughout the game as well, especially in the second half where Liverpool looked to have control of the game, looked to really call, really be causing Brighton some problems, but almost let them off the hook, especially with the late substitutions. I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's particularly fair to focus on some individuals at times, but um, Fabinho could have had one of the shortest cameos in Liverpool history, conceivably, if uh, the referee had, had viewed that challenge on Evan Ferguson differently, and he could well have done. And I don't think there would have been many complaints about that. But I think the frustration was from all the positives that we've seen against Wolves and Chelsea, certainly defensively as well. It's kind of a, a big step backwards, really, I think, in terms of the, the, the defensive display at times today. I mean, we'll come to the second half shortly, um, but focusing firstly on, on the first half, and I think one, one man who certainly I feel deserves a lot of credit for his for his performance it would be Cody Gakpo. I mean, it was a totally night and day from my perspective. I think, you know, we, we first played him centrally. Um, it, it wasn't really clear why Klopp had put him there or what he was asking him to do. Um, I, you know, I think there was one instance where we won the ball high up the pitch and you thought, oh, is this more of a kind of, you know, Firmino sort of role? Uh, the similarities to Firmino, I think, were more obvious to spot this time around. You know, the, the amount of times he dropped deep into the midfield to add another body and receive the ball. And, you know, he seemed to really have a lot of joy running into space rather than sort of hanging on the shoulder. I mean, he's not really that kind of player. Uh, so it, having space to run into definitely suits him a lot more. I think Klopp spoke about him after the game and I think he seemed quite pleased and that he'd sort of fulfilled his demands. Um, what's your perspective on this? I mean, firstly, perspective on the performance, but secondly, more critically, how, how do you feel about his placement in the forward line in terms of how it affects the balance? Because there's a lot of questions around... 
you know, playing Harvey Elliott out of position and obviously for Harvey Elliott's goal, he, he comes in the right, Salah drops back to kind of um, drag back Webster to free space for Harvey to run through. So you can see sort of see where Harvey's natural inclinations are on the right. So, yeah, so what, what were your sort of impressions of Gakpo and how, how that sort of suited the balance? I mean, I can understand the discussions among fans in terms of if they had one signing for January, would it have been Cody Gakpo, would it have been a midfielder? And a lot of fans I'm seeing are saying they would have rather have signed a midfielder than Cody Gakpo. And I can understand part of that argument. But at the same time, if Cody Gakpo hadn't been signed, Liverpool literally wouldn't have a forward line at the moment in, in, in some aspects. I've been a firm believer for a long time now that, and I think it's becoming more and more evident, that Harvey Elliott's best position is that right centre mid role. Because I don't particularly like him as part of the forward three. I don't think he's got enough pace for the forward three. And especially when you're playing in the wider areas, is a key thing, isn't it? You're, you risk sounding like a bit of a, a FIFA player or something. You're saying you want your wide men to be blistering pace, 90 pace out on the wings. But that is such an important part. And that's what Harvey Elliott lacks in parts. But in that right centre mid role, I think he's brilliant. Again, the goal, his goal came from running from that position today. For Cody Gakpo, it would maybe be perhaps wrong to say I'm giving him a free pass as such, but he's come into a team that's unstable. His best position is coming in off the left, and he, I think he's played one game so far in that position, which was against Wolves in the first uh, of the two FA Cup games. He hasn't been nailed down in that left winger role for a prolonged period yet and I think when he does play in that role more consistently which I expect him to now where I expect Nunez to come in and play in that central role we I think we'll see a lot more of Cody Apple and I think we'll see what he what he's best at and I feel a bit sorry for him really because of the circumstances in which he's come in let's not pretend that he's not a good player I think we've all seen that you know, at the World Cup I think yes we can't claim to be Eredivisie experts but he was the best player in the Eredivisie, by all accounts, at the first part of the season, incredible goals and assist figures, and it is taking him a, bit, him a bit of time to get used to life at Liverpool. But there's been other players that it's taken a lot of time to to get used to at Liverpool as well. And I think today was his best performance so far in Liverpool shirt. And I think there was stuff to work off. Um, at the same time, I, yeah, when people they want to see results, don't they? They want to see instant results from from new forwards. Um, so I think. It's interesting how it how it impacts all the positions as you mentioned, Harvey Elliott there. But look, until Diaz and Jota come back, I think Cody Apo should be a certainty in that forward line because I think he'll only get better. I suppose the question is realistically, if you look at the complete forward line when we've got all our injured stars back, how do we set up going forward? Because ideally, you know, and by self-admission, Cody Gakpo um, is a left-sided winger. Yeah. Um, Darwin Nunes is, 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 can play on the left, but prefers to be central. Um, so then it's just a matter in terms of how you organise your sort of remaining options. Jota, again, can play on the left, but probably prefers to be central. Luis, yeah. Luis Diaz, again, is excels on the left. Do, do Liverpool look to keep... Cody Gapco Central, do you think that's a long-term plan and to sort of utilise those Firmino-esque traits or is it just what is the best solution now with the options we have available? Well, I think we saw during the World Cup as well, maybe not against the most excellent of opposition, although Senegal, you know, they're African champions, Ecuador are far from a bad team. 
that he played well through the centre. And I think it's not a position that he's totally alien to. There are times for PSV as well. I just think he is more comfortable on the left. And when you're coming to a new country, I read recently as well that he's literally living in a hotel at the moment. So there's things like that. Because I remember it was very similar with Takumi Minamino. When he moved over, COVID hit literally two months later. And then he's stuck on his own for a good couple of months. And maybe people kind of forget about that side of it because... If you're, you know, it can be difficult to kind of settle in off the pitch first before settling in on the pitch, and even almost a bit of a rare situation under Jurgen Klopp in that there's only a handful of players that we've seen Jurgen Klopp sign and go straight into the starting eleven on a consistent basis, and he's almost having to learn on the job, and of course, it's not the easiest set of results for him to be involved in either at the moment. Um, I know he technically got the assist for Salah's goal against Wolves, but again, he's kind of waiting for his first official statistic in a Liverpool shirt as well. And look, if if Cody Gakpo, this conversation, he knows the things that he'll need to be working on. He knows everything that we're saying in terms of him getting on the score sheet, getting those assists. He'll know all of that. And he'll know as well when Diaz comes back, when Jock comes back, we are so almost left left side heavy and you know when, when you refer to all, all the forwards there and it, perhaps that is a little bit of a concern but that's where well need to become more accustomed to that central role because I just see him drifting out to the left so often yes he was more used to that maybe at Benfica but if Gakpo gets in on the left hand side where he's so comfortable and Nunez becomes more comfortable in the middle I think we'll see more going forward but unfortunately for Liverpool at the moment while they are creating opportunities Friend really is quite a bit of an issue, I feel. I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit... I'm in it's, two it's, minds. It's, it's but, not yeah. focusing about forwards, isn't it? But it's just, it's just so porous at the back. Because again, it's not focused on individuals. Matoma in the league game. Against Trent Alexander-Arnold. And you almost saw from early on. The second he got the ball and squared up. He knew he had the beating of him. I think he had a, an enjoyable afternoon again down that side as well, whether it was against Milner, whether it was against Alexander-Arnold. And you struggle to watch Matoma at the moment and not be a big fan of him. And that's the side of the scouting from Brighton. But all over the pitch, I think there are quite a few holes at the back for Liverpool. Do, do you think that's an issue uh, mainly to do with the lack of support? Because, I mean, Klopp said specifically after the game, he was questioned about uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's game and he sort of said, you know, didn't really get the defensive cover he needed. And obviously a lot was made at the time of um, Henderson's level of contribution in terms of dropping back to sort of plug those gaps uh, when he goes off and he's sort of ranging runs. Obviously, it's become sort of a more abundantly clear that nowadays Henderson doesn't really have the legs to perform that role to, to the standard that he used to. Uh, so we're in a situation anyway where we're not playing him, we're playing Keita and Bashetic. Um Harvey Elliott has been in the midfield, but when we've seen him in the midfield on that right-hand side, he doesn't perform that role to the, again again to the same sort of level that we'd um, expect of a, a Liverpool midfielder in that sort of typical uh, cop system. Um, so is that purely a Trent issue? Do you think, and I suppose, how do we how would we go about solving that with the current sort of setup? I think he's being a lot more isolated in recent weeks. I think that's fair to say. 
And again, it sounds like a bit of a recurring theme, doesn't it? Talk about the midfield, but the midfield was so crucial in recent years in terms of giving Trent Alexander all that forward freedom as well. I listened to Dan and David, I think it was a couple of podcasts ago, um, after the Wolves game, talking about Besetic and whether he'd done enough down to start in, in big games. I believe I, I, I would have started him against Chelsea. I know that the, the guys were a bit reserved on that front, but I, I would have started against Chelsea because, again, without individuals, if we're talking about drop-offs in quality. Not sure what's happened with Fabinho. I, maybe you know, the amount of games last season, of course, and you know how crucial he has been in recent years. Because yeah, and even go back to his debut against Arsenal, he was not great that afternoon. But afterwards, he got taken out of the team for a bit, and he was incredible then for a two, three year period. And just recently, over the last year or so, the standards that Fabinho has had, and he was the best defensive midfielder in the world at one point for my money. He isn't meeting those standards right now. And someone like Besetic, I know he's been booked a couple of times, but he's showing the legs, he's showing the determination in that midfield that we're just not seeing from Fabinho in terms of being able to cover the ground anymore at the moment. And that doesn't help when Trent Alexander-Arnold goes forward. Although I do think Matoma had his number over the last few games. Um, and I think when one side gets constantly targeted, because again, even Mudrick went down that side. I don't know when it was more Mill. I know Miller started the game, but then, but if we talk about how to fix it, set up again the age-old argument about Alexander Arnold: Will he move into midfield? Can he move into midfield? Uh, I don't know whether it's something that you, you yourself, you know, you've really entertained as such. But Joe Gomez, I mean, Joe Gomez at right back and Trent Alexander Arnold in midfield. Is it too easy to say that? I mean, Jurgen Klopp's far more. That's why he's Liverpool manager, isn't he? Because he knows these kind of things. But is it too easy to say that's a solution? I, 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 the problem I have with this, and it's the same. Yeah, well. yeah. The problem I have, and it's the same problem I've had with it ever since it was first suggested. Um, I think you hear Lineker, you hear Sam Allardyce now, sort of going, "Oh, we should do this." You know, it seems so obvious. You, it, 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 it seems like a lazy argument in my eyes, because everyone looks at his, his passing abilities, passing range, and goes, well, he would be fantastic as a midfielder because his passing is amazing. And as we all know, to be a Liverpool midfielder, you've got to be more than just an adept passer. You've got to have so many like facets to your game. It's... I, if Klopp ever turned around and said, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think he's got the assets to be useful there, then yeah, of course. I think, you know, obviously it's the manager, you know, he knows, he knows a lot more. Uh, but I think the problem I have with it as well on a basic level is I feel you lo- you'd lose a lot of his game. You know, I, th- I think Trent thrives with having the whole pitch sort of spread out before him and being able to make those runs, runs into space. If you put him in midfield, I think you'd limit his game uh, more than support it and I think given how I mean obviously it's an academic argument to an extent because we're not utilizing our fullbacks properly this term I think Clyde Tildesley was talking on the commentary and he was saying oh you know they don't seem to be making that many you know more runs up you know in, in this game against Brighton and obviously part of that is because you don't want to leave all that space in behind when we're so fragile at the moment I mean obviously we looked I think far more com- comparatively it was night and day in yeah. terms of the league the league to the cup you know we were far more compact we, we, you, you looked to Liverpool I think for the first 60 minutes and you thought 
we're we're the better side. We're the better side, but we're even dominating in parts. And you think, oh my God, this is like Liverpool of all, you know, as close to we've, we've been um, for large parts of this season. I, I I wouldn't put him in the midfield personally, but I don't, I don't know. Do, do, do you think that that's a? Do you feel that's a solution, like long term, or, or do you? Do you think it's just too too much of like an easy thing to go for? I can understand both sides of the argument. I just think the midfield at the moment needs a shake needs a shake up. Um, I have to say, if you're talking about midfielders dedicated so at the moment, I do think Stefan Bosetic, Harvey Elliott, and Thiago Alcantara represents Liverpool's best midfield three. I really do. Um, because Harvey Elliott now is doing a week in, week out work ethic alone deserves to start. Thiago Alcantara break has carried Liverpool's midfield at times when you talk about the, the amount of tackles he's putting in, the passes. I know it wasn't his best display today and a lot of criticism on social media came from his maybe sideways passing, backways passing, but it's very difficult to criticise Thiago Alcantara given how much of a role he has played since the World Cup restart in terms of having to do so much. And Bessetti, as I maintain, deserves to start at the moment. I suppose one thing as well that was noticeable today, the same way that noticeable over the last month or so, even when Liverpool weren't defending great, you were confident their ability to defend set pieces. And again, today, ultimately, yes, Brighton's first goal is a fortunate deflection, but if you want to be critical about it, both of them came from set pieces, didn't they? And it's the way Mitoma, look, it's a wonderfully taken goal, but he's left all alone at the back post. And how much of the concern for you is that even with Virgil van Dijk as well, the defending for set pieces was not fantastic. But that's always been something that over the last few years has been the comfort for Liverpool in terms of being able to defend from those situations. I mean, I read something interesting today. Paul Gorse of the Echo was talking about, you know, looking at how the players reacted right at the final whistle. And it just doesn't seem to be any kind... No one really seemed bothered or angry or vaguely sort of upset. And I, I will link this. Um, you know, as they were sort of going into the tunnel, there just didn't seem to be any kind of... Almost, almost a kind of cognitive sort of dissonance of the kind of... You, you're leaving a cup. This is the second cup you've left. You've just got the Champions League and the league, which, I mean, you'd, you'd take both, right? You'd take top four and you'd take a Champions League. I'd bite someone's hand off uh, right now for that. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know whether... I feel with set pieces, there's an S. Like obviously, there is there is at its core, you know, sort of tactical organisation. Of course, we accept that. But I think at it, as a part of it, a part of the essence, I think there's a, there's a level of fire, a level of like intensity and sort of care. I think it involves a level. I, I don't know. You sort of you mentioned Matoma's goal, and you can sort of see him controlling it. Gomez sort of turns his back, thinking he's going to take a shot, and you can see. And I, I feel like Gomez has, has got. He's deservedly got some flack for this. Um, but I feel not too much attention has been paid to, to Darwin Nunez, who's just standing there watching this all unfold before him. So Gomez has gone to turn his back to, to block the shot. Uh, Matoma's controlled the ball. By this point, um, if I was Nunez, I'd be advancing and closing off the space. And he's sort of standing there watching this happen, watching Gomez turn his back, 
and just not just not move. I, I, it's a weird one because I think of all the players we've had sort of this season, Nunez is, is one of the few exceptions in terms of showing that drive, showing that Working intensity. Hard. Yes, exactly, showing that intensity that's required of a Liverpool player. Um, so I, I do I do wonder how much of our sort of recent difficulties, because as you say, even with Van Dijk, we, we've not looked overtly more organised when it comes to set pieces. So how much, I wonder, is down to that that loss of fire in the belly? If, if, does that make any sense? Yeah, because you are expecting, you know, when, when, when the ball goes over Andy Robson's head, I'm expecting somebody to be on Matoma straight away. And as you say, Gomez goes down to, to clear. But, you know, when at times last season when Canate went on that incredible unbeaten run up until the Champions League final, that was the first game he lost in Liverpool shirt, even even in games that he wasn't playing alongside Van Dijk, he looked commanding, he looked strong, he looked a real authority in that defensive line. And I think he was fortunate today, potentially, although for me, on first viewing, it does, it does look like good strength. In terms of how he dealt with McAllister, I understand the arguments for a red card, but I just think he's that strong and that quick that players do sometimes buckle under the strength of Canate. But it's those kind of aerial positions where he needs then to assert his dominance. And what I noticed as well, when the cross comes in, the only one trying to attack it, it's almost like what the rest are watching it go over, lands at Matoma, and the rest is history. But I know what you mean in terms of it feels like there's a lack of urgency from those kind of situations. It feels like there's a lack of almost know-how in dealing with them because when I I spoke to David a couple of podcasts ago, um, I think Liverpool now are only four goals off conceded in the whole of the Premier League last season. I mean, Liverpool's defensive ability over the last few years, barring the COVID season when every centre-half of the club was falling, <laughs> falling like flies. It was incredible. You know, the defensive effort was, was brilliant. And you know, I include the full-backs in that because I do think sometimes Trent Alexander-Aldis had a bit too much criticism um, for his defence, uh, for his defensive awareness. I don't think he's been nearly as bad at times what people have said, but this season just seems to have gone a bit awry. I mean, even going back to last month, and how often have you seen a goal in the Premier League scored like Kieran and Dewsbury Halls, where just drifts through on guard and finishes? And I think the defence as a whole, I know I mentioned set pieces, and that is a big concern given that I don't think Liverpool have had those particular concerns in recent years. But it's just you wonder how to fix it because I heard Jurgen Klopp afterwards, but you could hardly speak. His voice was going, and I think you are really feeling the frustration now um, and I think more so that he's feeling frustrated and that he's not overly sure how to fix it and I think Jurgen Klopp well, he's, he's more than earned time at Liverpool he's more than earned loyalty at Liverpool and you heard the quote today as well about definitely no more signings in January which I think is a bit of a blow um, certainly for the rest of the season what it can mean for the summer we'll have to wait and see but yeah, you, know, you have to feel for Klopp because everything that everything that he's trying at the moment just just isn't going for him. It very much feels people will hate using the word, but like a transitionary sort of season. Yeah, um, I, 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 you know, yeah. as well, they transition over a period of time. Liverpool's is a very sharp transition. I feel. 
Oh, gotcha. No, I, I, I mean, this is the thing. We, you look at the numbers and you think, Thiago's been our only senior signing for the last four and a half years. Um, you can make an argument about Fabio Carvalho and his long-term position, but realistically, in terms of bolt on, slot straight into the midfield, it's Thiago Alcantara, which is, you yeah. know, I think you can argue there's mitigating factors. You can look at COVID and the financial impact there. And you, you can sort of say if that hadn't happened, Liverpool probably would have had another midfielder between that period. But even then, you're looking three midfielders, not including Artemelo, who are going to be leaving in the summer. Uh, we don't really know, again, we don't really know where Fabio Cavallo's long-term position is. We don't know whether the coaching staff think Harvey Elliott's, is, Elliott's long-term position is in the midfield. Um, Curtis Jones is a big question mark. I, I think he's got something to offer, but there's a bit. There's obviously question marks about the extent uh, to which he's a bolt-on to the Liverpool starter. Um, I, I think probably at the moment, ideally, he, he wouldn't be. He'd be a squad option. Um, <clears throat> so you're then thinking, right, it, Assuming Liverpool get Champions League football and have the financial capabilities to go toe-to-toe with City um, and Madrid and Chelsea, perhaps for for Bellingham, you think, is that still enough realistically? You need two coming in. Uh, You need fresh legs. You need fresh legs. That's the difficulty. Uh, I mean, we're talking about the second half at the moment. Um, I, I think the one thing that's really worth thinking about, and it's worrying, and we could see it coming from a mile away, was obviously uh, when Klopp around the hour mark, and then a bit after that, when Klopp made the change, brought on Henderson uh, and then Fabinho for uh, Keita and Basetic, respectively. Things seemed to more or less instantly go downhill. That sort of compactness and control Liverpool had in midfield just almost vanished. Um, as you said, Fabinho could have been the shortest cameo ever. Uh, the worrying thing for me here is, is if we start Fabinho, uh, Henderson and then Thiago say, with them, we look poor right from the beginning. If we play Bassetic and we play Keita for 60 minutes and then bring them on, we look poor at the end and then we end up losing the game. I, I think if, if, if both stay on, I, I think we at least take that to a replay or potentially come away with a win. But... It's at the point where you bring on Henderson, you bring on Fabinho, it's not just affecting the midfield, it's having such a clear impact across the whole park. So how do we go about this? Because Tots come out and said we're not going to make any more signings. So what we've got is going to take us through to the rest of the season. Obviously, we'll have players coming back, but we've got players coming back in the forward line and the back line. That's it. how does Klopp go about this? Because ideally you'd think, OK, we'll just play that play that starting midfield. Play Basetic, play Thiago, play Keita. But you think, well, you know, Keita's made a balsa wood. Basetic, you're running into a similar problem with Harvey Elliott where you're putting a lot of pressure on a young lad's shoulders. And obviously I, I think Basetic has been phenomenal. And I think he absolutely deserves to start against Wolves. As far as I'm concerned, he should keep that place for the rest of the season insofar as we're not harming his development by putting all this pressure on him. So how did Liverpool circumnavigate all this? Because you're almost praying and keeping your fingers crossed that one of Fabinho or Henderson are going to play themselves back into form. But meanwhile, every time you throw them on, they're detracting from the whole, any progress you've made, any of these small steps that Klopp talked about, you're immediately taking a huge leap backwards. And just to add to that as well, you mentioned about Cater and Oxlade-Chamberlain and likely Milner, although there are plans with James Milner, I'm not sure what they are in terms of leaving or contracts expiring in the summer. 
given that the reports were led to believe that Oxley Chamberlain and Kate are not going to be offered new contracts, I've always the frustration when players who are set to leave in the summer time or get more game time. Do you, do you get where I'm coming from there? Because mm. if they're not going to be a long-term solution, it, it's a little bit frustrating in that sometimes as well with, with Naby Keita, look, I've never debated his quality. The consistency is the main is the big frustration with him because he's had wonderful moments in Liverpool shirt, but can, they can be very few and far between at times for a player who was so hyped upon his arrival. Um I totally agree about Bassetta, just I said it before. I, I, I think he should be Liverpool starting holding midfielder now. Do you start to go with two holding midfielders? Um, I, you know, that That is a question as well. Has it reached the stage where Liverpool need two holding midfielders? Does, can it be Bassetta and Fabinho, for example, even though see, I'm saying about Bassetta starting ahead of Fabinho? Um, then you mentioned about Fabio Carvalho. I think his big frustration is that he's been he playing playing a lot on the wing this season, and for Fulham he thrived in number ten role, didn't he? But again, if he plays in number ten role, does that mean Harvey has to play out wide? And I mentioned earlier about my concerns in those positions, so it feels a bit like you've got pieces of a jigsaw that all look pretty good. How do they fit all together? And that is. Big frustration, of course, because yes, so at the League Cup, at the FA Cup, task in the last 16 of the Champions League, and a big, big task in the Premier League. And you know, I, th- I think as as Dave often says, it's about adding maybe a bit of positivity in there. I think there are positivities, positives. I think the likes of Harvey Elliott's performance. I do think. You know, there was a lot more grit and determination, but ultimately the main positives will come from results and Liverpool are just struggling in that regard at the moment. No, well, this is the thing you mentioned results. I'm looking at our February fixtures and it's a particularly sort of challenging month, I would say. You know, we're going to Wolves, we're then home to Everton, away to Newcastle, who are obviously enjoying a great vein of form at the moment and then... Dear old Real Madrid in the round of 16. So it's... Klopp talks about small steps, but Liverpool realistically need to make a leap um, and need to make a leap soon. um, Because you're looking at sort of... I mean, if I'm Madrid and I'm looking at Liverpool right now, I'm thinking... Oh, you know, I've, we've got easy, easy passage through to the quarterfinals, to be complete. I, you know, it, you look at Liverpool, and obviously we, we've got massive, massive European pedigree. And you think there's certain games, I, I look back at City when we were also struggling and we produced this just ridiculous performance. And everyone thought, oh, brilliant, this is a, a corner. This is back when we were saying, oh, it's a corner turned, it's a corner turned. We're going to finish the season on a high, and then we'll absolutely dross the next game. So you never, you never really know with the Champions League. I think we could all, you know, we we, we could beat Wolves, beat Everton, lose against Newcastle, and think, ah, oh, crap, we're going to get absolutely thumped at home to, by Real Madrid, and end up going through. So you never, it, it's hard, it's hard to predict. Do you know what I mean? I, I think at the best of times, um, are you looking at that month of fixtures with optimism? Do you think we'll have made the necessary steps forward, or is it just about sort of salvaging our league campaign at this point in time? 
it's a tough one because I think what there is for Liverpool in the rest of this month, which is a rare occasion for Liverpool, is that there's a week break until Wolves. Then after Wolves, there's a break of nine days until Everton. Then there's about six days until Newcastle. So there's all freer, freer weeks, five days until Newcastle, I think, after Everton. And that that you know that that's a lot of work on the training pitch that needs to be done, and it is easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to say about working on the training pitch because how much then intensity is there compared to games? I've I've always kind of wondered in in that regard. Um, but Wolves and Everton as well, we're still waiting on official confirmation of Sean Dyche to Everton, um, but and against. Or now likely to become coming against teams that, well, certainly in the case of Wolves, have improved remarkably under Lopetegui. I, I really think they have done well, and I think they've got a great chance of staying up. Under Everton, yes, they have been particularly porous ever since the World Cup restart, but you would imagine under Sean Dyche they will improve in that regard. I think that's very key for Everton. I think it's a trait of Sean Dyche in terms of how he sets up his teams. So, Liverpool now. February is looking difficult. And again, Newcastle away, they are, for me, going to finish in the top four, I think, defensively as well. I mean, how, how do you score a goal against Newcastle United? Um, and then actually Real Madrid and, and Crystal Palace to, to finish the month. So it's a tough looking, it's a tough looking month. And that's even without the, the issues Liverpool have got at the moment. Hopefully, Diogo Jota will be back in the next few weeks. I think Luis Diaz is the biggest loss and he'll be another month away um, but I mentioned earlier about finding finding the formation that suits both Nunez and Gakpo because I think that would help a lot and for the midfield getting a settled midfield three is crucial and I want to see you know for the players that haven't been signed recently, the likes of Henderson, the likes of Fabinho, we want to see reactions from not the kind of reaction that we saw today, but you want to see reactions from them from senior players saying they will react because they're not starting. And that's a bit of a concern in itself as well, to be honest at the moment. But it's a tough look, it's a tough looking month. Um it's one of them where you've got to go go into a bit a bit of optimism because there are there were signs, at least in the attacking side of Liverpool today, that they can cause these teams problems. And again, when the Champions League and Anfield, strange things happen, don't they, for the plenty of teams we found out throughout the years. So, at the end of the month, I think we'll have a fair indication as to what Liverpool's ambitions for the rest of the season will be. No, absolutely, absolutely. As you say, it's a, it's a challenging month, but if Liverpool can get through relatively unscathed, um, which is... Looking increasing, well, decreasingly impossible, provided we continue to make these steps forward. But I think you'd have to feel pretty confident about Liverpool at least making top four, and that's that's the that's the absolute minimum. I think if you asked you know anyone at the state, we'll take a European run, we'll take a European run any day of the week. But you know, I, I think I'd bite your hand off right now just for just for guaranteed top four, because I think you know you, you just. I suppose we're looking far too far ahead in terms of the long game and you know who we can afford in the summer and all this. But given 
the quality and the, and the number of legs Liverpool need in the middle of the park, um, I, th- I think you know top four is an absolute minimum. Has to be the end goal and the, and the, the most important goal of all. But we we shall see. It's a packed month of football in February, and I'm sure we'll be there every step of the way uh, to cover it and share our reaction. Uh, we've had Chris Coughlin and I've been your host Farrell Keeling on the Reds Unrestricted podcast. Uh, if you're catching us on pure audio. Um, Feel free to catch it. We'll be on Spotify and that kind of thing. Wherever you're catching your podcast, uh, leave us a review, a positive view, preferably. That'd be nice. Um, follow the podcast. And of course, if you're watching this on visual, um, you can follow us on YouTube. Leave a comment, like, subscribe, and just let us know your thoughts generally on how Liverpool season is going and what you think Jurgen Klopp should be doing to turn the tide. Take care.